0: hey everyone this is george a wood and you are listening to new numa godcast with my man norman where he brings it raw and real check him out here he's always got the next best conversation going on but he has it raw and real for you here check him out
1: what's good new numa fam i'm your host norm the professor aka norman brown welcome to the podcast where you come to get the real from a biblical perspective if this is your first time listening to the podcast I'd like to personally welcome you and want to let you know a little about what you may expect. I attack the raw issues affecting the church and the world at large today, giving you biblical backup for everything I say. Basically, this podcast gets in your face with issues that are trending, taboo, and tough to talk about, which today's watered-down churches don't even touch. I also interview Christians of all types of backgrounds, careers, ministries, and more to put on record their stories of redemption, salvation, and victory to inspire you to walk out your kingdom purpose to expand the kingdom of God in the earth. If you want the truth, this is definitely a podcast you want to hear. So get your spiritual ears ready to hear what the Lord is saying to the church. Peace.
2: He said it was only Native Americans and Caucasians mostly, and then maybe Maybe, I don't know what other groups of people might have been there, but that was pretty much it. It was Caucasians and Native Americans. And the Native Americans were on their reservations, which in and of itself, I mean, the more I hear that coming out of my own mouth, the more I'm sickened by that because it's like like redlining, but on a whole other level. Imagine if we were, if African Americans were told, this is your this is your land right here, and we're going to surround it with fence or whatever, and we're going to tell you that's where you stay. You don't go nowhere else. How in the world does that sound? And the fact that most Native Americans do not leave their reservations, they don't come and live out in regular society, that makes it even sadder because it's almost like they've been conditioned to like, except that that's their fate, you know. Somebody like a Jim Thorpe was a rare a rarity. You remember th- Jim Thorpe? You remember that name? No. Okay, well, Jim Thorpe was a Native American. He did some stuff in um, in uh, the Olympics, and he was known for something with the with the Olympics. I'm going to look him up real quick because I want to bring him up real quick. Okay. So Jim Thorpe his name was um well his his uh what you call it his his legal name was James Francis Thorpe. He was an American athlete and Olympic gold medalist, a member of the Sac and Fox Nation. Thorpe was the first Native American okay, he was the first Native American to win a gold medal for the United States in the Olympics. And this was back in, uh, let me see, he won two Olympic gold medals in the 1912 Summer Olympics. So I remember Jim Thorpe from, I I don't know, it must have been history class where we brought him up, where he was brought up. But, yeah, Jim Thorpe. Um, But if you think about it, though, it's like that in itself is so rare and I'm not talking about um, um, it's, it's, it's rare that uh, uh, a Native American will actually uh, do stuff outside of the reservation. I, it's rare that I see anybody who is Native American. I rarely see a Native American. I know that I have that Native American blood in me, but I rarely see people that are full-blooded Native American just out being regular people.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you qualified that, um, that you qualified full-blooded because, like I said, a lot of them, if they're not in the reservation, a lot of them assimilated in terms of bloodline with other ethnicities. And there's a whole lot of that that's going on. Like there's this big thing, especially down in the South Carolina area, that's where I'm from, and, you say that in Charleston and in different areas, there was so much of merging of Native Americans with African Americans and descendants of slaves where that went on a lot. So if they didn't die out, get killed out, or um, on the reservations, a lot of them assimilated into other ethnicities. And so, but it's it's, it's very rare to see them just out like that unless you go like I when I used to sell magazines out in Colorado, I would see a lot of them out there um in Colorado. So, it's certain areas where they are and I would I would presume just because of the politics in our in our, our nation and how things move that they would be more in Midwest in the Midwest area more than anywhere else now um where you would see more of them.
2: Yeah. Yeah man so it's a, it's a it's a sad situation because essentially it's like in in one way they were reduced even more than African Americans and even if they do have so-called land somewhere that they were given and said this is your land the fact of the matter is they have been, it's almost like they've been enslaved in a place. Or, let me, let me I'm going to say it like this. They've been incarcerated. Let me say it that way. They're incarcerated in a place that, although they're open to be able to travel in and out, they have to stay there. That's, I mean, essentially, it's like they have to stay there. Now, Again, I'm not saying that Native Americans do not move out of reservations and have not moved out of reservations, but for whatever reason, it seems like they tend to stay, and I think it's partly because of that whole thing of preserving the culture, preserving that nation. And notice I said nation because they consider, America considers each one of these nations a separate nation from America, And that's also part of the whole thing about the reservation. It's almost like the reservation is their nation within America, you know. Um, And obviously those so-called nations are not enough to, I mean, how much land could they really have as a so-called nation? It ain't none of them that's as big as a state. Now, states of America are as big as countries in, in Europe. So there's no country there's no state in America that's as big as uh I mean there's no um reservation in America that's as big as a country anywhere that I know of. So the point is that I mean that almost makes you think like they're dying out of something because why haven't they why haven't they reproduced to a point where they're overflowing the reservation? Or is it so bad with the drug use and all that other kind of stuff that they just die out quick and they don't really get to, you know, ever thrive? I know that's kind of getting off the subject of what we're really talking about, but I just that's a thought I wanted to put out there because I just want people to know that it's not just African Americans that were affected by this nonsense in America. Native Americans have been greatly affected by it negatively impacted by it. So now there was something that uh you brought out earlier that I want to talk about and it has to do with uh, um we got the Jim Crow era, we got you know um uh, redlining and things of that nature. Then we got the black exploitation films. I don't know how much you know about black exploitation films. Do you know whether it was black people that did this? or was it Hollywood that did it and it was called black exploitation because they used black people to make black people look bad
0: as far as the the who who were the people financing it and uh, the executive producers that I don't know I I, w- I would have to look into that but I will say that I believe that these films were well first of all I say we looked at them as an opportunity to get on because, in a lot of places, we, you know, we didn't want to be looked at, um, as, you know, we were trying to get out that mindset of us just, um, being looked at as the, um, the worst character that could be the, the mammy or whatever. And so now you have these films where we're like the hero or the anti hero, or they would say we're the bad person or, somebody that could, you know, wreck shop and and represent, but a lot of times that was merged with him being involved, the, the male um lead character being involved with some kind of crime or doing some kind of dirt. But for us because he was representing and beating people up and and running things, we celebrated the characters, but I don't know who the executive producers were of the initial ones and I don't know if it ended up leading to um black executive um executive producers of the those films but I know that the effect um can speak to the mindset of we celebrate the gangsters and we celebrate the things that we shouldn't celebrate because um, this is because of how media does, and anytime you get into a Hollywood situation, whoever is presented as the one running things and representing, then the young minds, of course, are the impressionable minds are going to link to that and say, Yeah, you know, I'm, I want to be. And I know Rich, Richard was it Roundtree was one of them, and even going back to Dolomite and some of the other things, you know that became our heroes. That's kind of like how a lot of the hip-hop people now look at Scarface with, you know, uh, Tony Montana and that kind of thing and just finding uh, or linking ourselves to the the person that's the boss, that's running things. But, no, I don't know the answer to that as far as who the executive producers were of those those films.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I guess on the one hand, like you said, it was the way that they were trying to get on um they weren't being given opportunities in other ways however there's one way there's one kind of there's another perspective I'll give as a counter to that there were people like sidney portier um uh what's the other guy who's uh oh my goodness what, who's the other man that's like Sydney? Um, you mean
0: Harry Belafonte?
2: Harry Belafonte, yes. Harry Belafonte. And then even, I know you may or may not know this. I don't know if you noticed or not. But the guy who played in Gone with the Wind, who is, I don't know his name, his real name. But um, the main character of that movie, did you know that he's part black? Clark Gable, I think that's his name.
0: I didn't I didn't know that. Yes.
2: I didn't know that until like I don't know if it was last year that I found out or something like that and I was watching some special and they were going into that and how because he looked Caucasian he was able to get away with playing that role and nobody ever thought the wiser or whatever, nobody even looked into it or whatever.
0: But his so he mom, passed. I believe. Huh? He was what we call he was he was able to pass.
2: He could pass, yes. He mm-hmm. can pass the Caucasian, and, um, but his mom, I believe, was the one who was African-American. and uh, But the point I'm making is that it's interesting how there are people like them, and maybe I won't count Clark Gable at this moment, but I'll say at least Harry Belafonte and Sidney Poitier, they actually represented well, And, um, you know, they also got into roles that uh, people might say, oh, that was only, you know, something that certain people could get, you know. But he was able to get in. They were able to get into roles like that. So apparently it was, you know, it was something that was possible. But the thing about it is it's like, you know, if if people – I guess you would say, um, <clears throat> would use excuses for saying there is no way to get in. There's two sides to this. I'm going to say the two sides. There is the side where it says, okay, we're not going to keep waiting for somebody to put us on. We're going to do it ourselves because we're not waiting for them. There's that side. But then there's a the side that says, we're not going to. Let them determine if we get into it, we're going to do what we got to do to make it happen. And we're going to break through. And that's why I look at people like Sidney Poitier and Harry Belafonte as groundbreakers. And I believe both of them represented African-Americans well. And okay.
0: So, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I want to speak no, to that. I want to speak okay, to
2: that. Okay, speak to that. Speak.
0: So, so I agree with that. That they were pioneers, and they they paved the way for many of us to get on nobody's going to disagree with that. The flip side of the the mindset okay, you have people who are like I said traumatized by slavery, traumatized by Jim Crow, and put into a certain mentality um of of living when they saw them acting a lot of times you have a good amount of people who saw them getting roles but didn't see them as representing the black consciousness, whatever that is, or representing them. So they would get roles, but they were playing in roles. And it was controversial roles sometimes, like guess who's coming to dinner and that kind of thing. And it was about, um, you know, interracial or or multi-ethnic relationships. But a lot of people saw it as, yeah, you in there, but you still – are representing them or representing their, the version of us that they can tolerate or that they can see as us, which that could speak to a whole not- another thing about our how our morals and values decrease because of our poverty and because of our situation where they identify more with the pimp or more with those other roles, the, the drug dealer or the person going in, shooting up, or even the um Vietnam vet who came back didn't have a job anywhere so he had to do what he had to do and um start kicking butt in order to survive and they could deal deal with that because that is like a super their superhero so i do agree that they um represented um a certain class but i also see how they would see as that's not really representing who we are as a people good bad or ugly
2: Good, good job. Yeah, so I'm going to read from uh, this website that talks about Clark Gable. So it says that um, Clark Gable earned the title King of Hollywood for his dominance as a leading male cast in movies. It It is also that privilege which afforded him the right to demand for integration of washrooms for both black and white cast lest he walked off the project. Gable did not hide his black and Native American heritage, even if the studio managers didn't particularly make it public knowledge. Mm. He also he also was of Pennsylvania Dutch, Belgian, and German history. Um. Then it says Gable was so serious about in- integration and the removal of needle barriers that when his Gone with the Wind co-star. Hattie McDaniel was not permitted to attend the premiere in Atlanta, Georgia. He threatened to boycott it. And then it says, it is to his lasting memory that when he saw colored, quote-unquote, and, quote-unquote, white bathrooms on set reinforcing segregation, he refused to continue working until all the cast were treated equally. Gable's path That's good. Gable's path to Hollywood wasn't easy, though. He had former actress and theater manager Josephine Dillon to thank for her intervention to kickstart his Hollywood incursion. So, yeah, um, basically, that's where... um, that's where... uh, that's kind of one of those things that, like you said, well, like I'm saying, it wasn't made known. So that tells me that um they wanted to hide that because all these years that we've heard about Clark Gable, I never knew until last year that he was mixed. Never heard wow. it before. And nobody you know, would've known that.
0: Go ahead. Nah go, no, go ahead, what you were saying. No, no, no. You good? Go ahead. No, I was saying I was saying that just to me it speaks to the um, a principle of pioneering sometimes when you pioneer, a lot of times the pioneers who are coming from one state of existence or one reality and trying to bring in another reality, a lot of times they have to have characteristics of the old reality in order to bring in the new. And it made me think about Paul for some reason because I was thinking about Paul being a Hebrew, being a Jew but having an apostleship to the Gentiles, but still being able to speak the language of the Jews and appear as a Jew, but still, but having a vision um, for the freedom of the Gentiles and for them to come into the faith. And it just makes me think about transitional leaders, how, and and that's why, uh, and you didn't pay me to say this, by the way, but that's why I think that your ministry is so important because you represent these different ethnic groups. And so, some people, even when we go back to like Barack obama some people if if Barack Obama was a um just like straight up descendant of a slave, dark skinned looking like okay, he may have been the son of somebody that was on the plantations, whatever, we know uh-huh. he wouldn't have got in. We know that no matter how classy he was, but sometimes transitional leaders have to have other um, other groups that they represent, or the, the groups that are in power, to be able to relate to them, to identify with them so they can speak their language, so that they can move the agenda and, and move the vision, the mission forward um, for other people who might be just straight, just straight um, whatever it is, whatever that um, representative group is. So it just made me think about that when you said that about Clark Gable um, and and other people like him that the pioneers and the pioneers are oftentimes looked at as sellouts to the other people. Like, what are you doing interacting uh, with them or mingling with them? But they might be paving the way, not just getting on for themselves, but paving the way in ways that we don't even respect or ways that we don't even see until they're gone and, and not even realizing the impact that they had, because sometimes they had to be, what's it called? Um, uh, what's it called when you're um, incognito or I'm trying to think of that word. Chameleon? It's subliminal or it's, huh? Not
2: a chameleon, Right.
0: Well, a chameleon speaks to it, too. It wasn't the word I was looking for, but it worked. you got to be a chameleon where you can get in, and that speaks to Paul. I became all things to all men that I might win some. It's like, you got to be able to not just represent your demographic, but you have to be able to have a broader perspective, a broader view, so that you can bring all those people groups in. Um, and so that just made me think about that, because he did that, and um, – and we found different people, and we've seen different people in history do that to move it to move it forward, uh, because they can't take someone who might be just straight, just one thing, and really just focused on one thing, representing one thing. You need somebody that has a broader view, broader perspective, so they can bring them all in.
2: In other words, you got to ease people into it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, ease them into it.
2: Yeah. Make them get used to the idea first, and then you can bring it full blast later. Um, I agree. Uh, I think that we're about to see that more in the government as far as Congress and things of that nature because more and more people of color are getting in there. And I mean, like, Spanish-speaking, also African-Americans, you got Native. uh, I I, I know you have, like, some – Maybe Asians, some Indians, you know, people like that coming from other cultures that are starting to fill those positions, which is, should be to the advantage of those that have been disadvantaged because then they will realize there are things that need to be stricken from the laws or whatever, or they need to be changed or whatever to make things fair in this country. Because we know things are still not fair in this country. And um, that's where we go to the redlining and things like that that you brought out, um, and then a better access to education and things. Um, I want to say that, uh, so when we look at Will Smith, I just want to say this, that when we look at Will Smith going up on stage and and smacking Chris Rock, we see a couple things going on with that. Now, there's a term called simping. That I feel definitely applies. That that was a simp move. Also, it was a it was a move that was done out of manipulation. How can you one breath be laughing at the joke that was just said about your wife? And then all of a sudden a split second later, you going up and smacking the person who just made you laugh. That to me, like I hear, I've heard this one person say, that's Order 66 from like Star Wars, where they said execute Order 66, and they was talking about
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: where they gonna make they gonna make all the stormtroopers do certain thing because they executed Order 66. Now all of them being pre, predisposed to a certain program are going to start order. They're gonna start doing the thing a certain way because Order 66 was programmed into them, and now they (laughs) they go and do what Order 66 tells them to do. Right. I have to say that uh, any man who will, number one, laugh, okay, if if you say, if something was funny and you laughed about it, and then you look over at your wife and she's not laughing, then you're just going to have to eat that, that you laughing and she wasn't laughing. Right. There ain't, ain't no way in the world you should be then going and saying, you know what, she ain't laughing. Now I'm going to go smack the person that made me laugh. Are you serious? I mean, first of all, you made yourself look stupid doing that because there's no way you can laugh at the joke that you, you go smack somebody for. There's no way. They don't go in the same sentence. You made a fool of yourself because... You can't go and say it wasn't funny. What you got Now what you got to say is uh, I got punked by my wife, and so I got up there and I smacked him. That's what you got to <laughs> say. That's exactly what he did. He got punked by his wife. She manipulated him through a look. And because he simped, he went up there and smacked the dude. Even though he laughed right before that, at the very joke that he smacked him for. So, was he really smacking him because he was upset? No. He smacked him because his wife was upset. And he smacked him because he's trying to make, I guess he's trying to impress Jada. He tried to impress her by doing that. I don't know. But um, that was a weak move. That was a punk move. And I believe that, you know, I heard somebody was saying um, earlier today, I was listening to this guy, and he said that um, somewhere along the lines, there was some guy that told Will Smith that uh, if somebody, in order for him to overcome the the image that he said was, people looked at him as being weak and soft and whatnot as a rapper. And so he was told by someone that in order to overcome that, you got to smack a dude, show him that you ain't no punk or whatever. You smack him. And um, and so bottom line is, here he goes 20-something years later after his career started as a rapper, and he smacked somebody. Now, you smacking this guy, it was almost like the frustration that he had about her, he took it out on somebody else. That's what it looked like to me. That's what it felt like to me. But it was also a thing where it was also like she turned some switch that said she it was off, but then she turned it on, and as soon as she turned the switch on, he came up and he had a new program in him, and then he went up there and did what the program said. I mean, it was straight up just a... It was just, I don't even even have real good words for what I really want to say about it. Um, I'm trying to think of how to say this in a more eloquent way. But basically, that was just something that a punk would do. A punk and a a bully. Yeah, let's call it bullying. That was bullying. Because a bully goes after the weak. They go after the people that are defenseless, the ones that can't defend themselves, the ones that can't stand up to them, the ones that can't do any harm to them. Now, on the one hand, we don't really know if Chris Rock could not have harmed them. We don't know because we know that Chris Rock restrained himself. We know that Chris Rock decided to take the higher ground. And like I said before, in the one instance, one person made people look bad in a certain group and the other one, they made them look good. I was proud and disgusted in the same moment. And would you say you felt the same way?
0: Oh, yeah. I definitely was um, disgusted by what Will did, and I was I was cheering on um, the dignity, civility, the restraint of Chris Rock. Because when, it, when you come down to it, when you come down to it, even if he could take him or whatever. He's still a man. Any man. That's like when we go in the boxing. If you any boxing fans out there, they tell you all it take is one hit. You know, a man can hurt you. Uh, and so yeah. the fact that he restrained himself, we don't know. But he could have hit him back, and that. when yeah. We talked about this off um, on our last conversation. Uh, that would have looked real crazy if Chris Rock would have actually retaliated and done what most of us would have done and hit him back, and then they're out there, they're fighting at the Oscars. So the the part that redeemed us of the only part that redeemed us, if there was any redemption was that Chris Rock maintained his composure for what he came to do. And I heard that and I saw a little clip where it was showing afterwards, even after will sat back down, and while while Will Smith was you know screaming out what he was saying, Chris Rock was still trying to calm him down and saying, "Hey man, I'm just here to present the award, man. This it's all. I'm just here to present the award. It's, calm down. It's all good, whatever." So he was still trying to keep the peace even after that, which, which speaks more to me about his civility, about trying to just get through the night and uh, and make it happen. So yeah, most definitely. Most definitely, it was it was one of those proud and disgusting moments at the same time.
2: You know what's interesting about that, too, is that Chris Rock was still being classy when he could have got real street. At that moment, okay, like, let's just say it like this. If he wasn't on TV and, and he was, like, in somebody's house or whatever and, Will Smith running his mouth And he's over here Just minding his business He could have been like Yo shut the F up dude You know what I'm saying Like What what, right. like, what What else I gotta say for you Shut up Nobody's even paying attention to you now You know what I'm saying Like it could have been something like that Where he could have been like Like Pumped him at that moment Where he could have been like Yo dude Say something else And I'm gonna really come at you I was being nice By not punching you the last time You know what I'm saying Like It could have been a situation like that where, you know, he allowed you to do that and get away with it only because he knows what he could do to you. Like there's some people, and I know that you're aware of these kind of people that they are martial artists. They know they could kill you with a certain kind of blow, but they restrain themselves because they know also that if they kill you, they can go to jail for that because they know that they can do it. So, they don't just go out and hit people because they know that their hands are called deadly weapons. And so therefore they literally go around trying to do any and everything they can do to not get in a fight. And for all we know, Chris Rock could be a daggone black belt. We don't know. Maybe we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. He could literally have been in a position where he could have taken him out. And that shows even more strength and power on his behalf because that shows that he has more control of himself than someone else who doesn't even have the kind of ability that he has. Now, again, we don't know if he has a black belt. I'm just saying, if he did have one
0: and he so watch still.
2: So
0: yeah, if he did have one, but this, this, look, this is what we do know. We do know he can take a hit. He had a chin on him. We know he didn't fall and and crumble up on the ground or whatever. We know that. And we also Mm -hmm. know that he is good good with his words. And, And we even saw that. I saw this on TikTok where it showed a little clip of what it highlighted when he was saying, you know what, I could just, and then he just let it go. He said, I could just, and that's all he said. But basically, he was basically saying, I could go in on you right now and make you look real stupid, like. So even if he wasn't a black belt, or even if he couldn't beat him physically, he had the mic, and we know, you know, he's a comedian. That's what he does. I could clown all y'all right now. I could make you look real stupid. So not only in the restraint, the physical restraint, but even in the vocal restraint of what he what he could have said afterwards, he still yeah. showed restraint based on the authority and power that he has as being gifted in what he does. So. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. The restraint was shown, <laughs> and, and
2: and and here's the thing too, bro. Like, true power is not seen in you, you know, smacking somebody down or whatever. True power is when you know that you could do something and you don't, and right that also that also shows uh, if someone deserves a position that they're in or not. So one one way of looking at it is okay, Chris Rock probably I mean he already knows that he represents certain things when he's up there in front of everybody. And being that he represents those things, he could have um he he knows that there's a certain perception that he has to give no matter what. And he was the one that was able to handle his position of power and position of influence in a way that was commendable, whereas Will Smith did not handle his position of power in a commendable way. And so here it is. Uh, Will Smith said, did what he did, right, and said what he said, and then his little son said some nonsense on, um, on uh on what you call it? Um,
0: Was it um, his Twitter? His son,
2: or his, his, son, his, his son said something on Instagram, and it's like, wait a minute. How are you going to say, oh, and that's how we do it? Are you serious? So his son making that statement, it showed a lot about his son too. So we already know that his son thinks it's okay to be violent he already we already know that his son thinks that that was okay or that was cool, so that we it ain't like that was a surprise to us. We already know his son don't make no good decisions. We already know that we already know <laughs> he's confused about his sexual identity. We already know he's confused. That he doesn't even ho he he just completely confused all the way around, and Willow is no different, she's no better. And you see how she shaved her head to match with her mom, so she's just following in the same path as her mother. I mean, we just we can see we see all kinds of things happening in this situation. The bottom line is, we need to uh, we need to see these people do things in a way that's going to be um, representative of people that we could actually say we're proud of. And I'm so glad that Richard, the real Richard, Richard Williams denounced what Will Smith did. He denounced it. He does not he did. condone any kind of violence like that. He made that he public did. real quick. And I'm so glad but he did it know- because, that.
0: Did another, no, go ahead, finish that. You're so glad because of what?
2: I'm so glad he did that because it showed that no matter what, Richard Williams is like, you ain't going to represent me by doing that. That's not who, I'm at, who I am. I never did anything like that. That's not protecting a family. I never did anything physically violent to anybody to protect my family. So you did not represent me well, and you definitely didn't represent yourself well either. But go
0: ahead with you. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, so we talked about all kind of different things that would affect or could impact external things that impact the black male image in America. And one of the things we didn't bring out, well, we talked about it, but we didn't make it a real specific thing. But that goes to his woman. Because they always talk about how black men should be protecting their women which as men, we are protectors. But people don't talk about how the woman should also be a protector of the image of her man. And I saw somebody put out something where they said, they said that very thing and said Jada at any point could have stopped him, (coughs) grabbed his arm before he went up there and said, no, I'm upset, but don't, don't do that. Knowing what kind of night that was supposed to be for Will, knowing what it was supposed to be um just for in in history to say nah it's not worth that or whatever but because like you said the manipulation and because of it's more important to me that you defend me than it is for us to defend our legacy collectively then I'm gonna let you go on and look stupid and cry about it later instead of prevent you from doing something that's going to have you all out of pocket. And so what we don't think about a lot of times is the people who tell the stories of black men, the people who are the storytellers, the people who, can, who talk to the children, the people who talk to society about us is our women. And so if the woman has a negative, is in competition with, with her man or has a negative idea about her man, or uh, some of these toxic ideas, she will let him go out there and play the buffoon or whatever as long as it uplifts her. And I feel like that's a real big problem because our image a lot of times, what is known about our reputation, what's known about our character, what's known about who we are or what is said about us, is said to our children, is said to our family, and is by the person that we lay next to. And if she has a negative report, or she can distort the report and make it seem as if it's something else. Even our intentions, if, if we have to go out in the military to go on assignment or go out for our job or go and do different things, she's the one that can say, hey, your dad is out there working to um, provide for the family. He's not here, but he loves you, whatever. She can, con- she can condition and, and help cultivate that child's mind to see the dad as a hero or to see him as the worst bum just because he's not doing what she wants him to do. So that's a big thing because of the trauma that a lot of black women haven't healed and got over. A lot of times that trauma is translated over into her emasculating us or pushing us out there to look stupid so that she can still look a certain kind of way. I think that's one of the biggest factors in when we talk about the black male image how our stories are told by the people that we say that we love, that we're with.
2: I completely agree with that. I want to ask a pertinent question right here. Why has the image of black men been attacked? And and, and I guess I also want to say, why has the image of black people been attacked, those that are of African descent? Why has the image been attacked? I want you to give your take on it. I'm going to give my take on it after you.
0: Okay. One of the um, things I would say about that is because there had to be a justification for the mistreatment and for the evil deeds done to us. They had to attack our image to dehumanize us, to justify what they did for financial gain and to to make it seem like they were still right in the eyes of God. We had to make it so they were less than human um, in order for us to justify why we did it. That's one reason, but I think that the other reason is just straight-up fear, fear of um, annihilation, and then there have been many studies on that and talked about how um, just because of genetics, white people feared that if black people were looked at on the same level as as or black males specifically were looked at the same level as white males then there would be more integration, more um ethnic um collaborations and that kind of thing that would cause of annihilation of what quote unquote the Caucasian race. And so they had the, there's a embedded fear that if they are looked at how they looked at people are going to go after them. They're going to want them, and then we're not going to have. And which I don't believe in the concept of race either, but just going with that narrative, we're not going to have a race for ourselves because we're all going to be mixing it up, chopping it up, and we're not going to be here anymore. And so I think those are some of the reasons why we've been attacked uh, across the board. Uh, there are many, but I'll stop with that with those two.
2: Okay, so you basically touched on one that I wanted to definitely talk about, and that's the part about the fear of being erased or wiped out from the planet or something. I feel like from what I've been seeing in the earth, um, okay, let me, let, me, let me say it this way. It may not get to the point where we all go back to, Okay, let me okay, let me say (laughs) that sorry, let me let me let me say this another way. I was gonna say it one way, I'm gonna say it another way. In America specifically, it seems as though there's a lesser and lesser amount of what we call Caucasian or white. And just so people know, those that don't know, and maybe I never said it the way I'm about to say it or whatever, maybe I never said it at all. This word white is a social construct that was developed in America to separate people and to also kind of build a, what you would call, what I would call like a, a an alliance or a conglomerate of those that came from European backgrounds, that although they fought between themselves and although certain ones of them were mistreated and treated as less than others and whatnot, I mean, and among among what we call Caucasians or Europeans or whatever, there was a lot of fighting among them where specifically Irish people were called the black people, the blacks of America, I mean blacks of Europe. Irish were called that. Um, um, basically treat, treated like the Negroes. Uh, I'm trying to be nice about it because – anyway
0: right i'm really trying to stay <laughs> um, i got you. Europe, i'm with you okay <laughs>
2: they were treated as those of europe and then you got the the uh <laughs> the ones that came over here calling people Muliani's and they and they actually were treated like they were the negroes coming in and i'm talking about italians and then you know we got a history of what happened when uh, Hannibal came through and he, he colorized from Spain down through Greece. All of those countries got hit with African blood, and that's why those people have what we call olive skin, and some are just darker than olive. They're just, you know, you go down to Sicily, and they're looking like black people with straight or curly hair or whatever, wavy hair, you know. Um, they are that dark down there, but then, you know, you got the the northern uh, Italians that are the blonde hair, blue eyes, but then the southern ones, dark hair, dark skin, whatever, or darker skin, and that's all because of the the racial or ethnic mixing or whatever. My point is that in America, <clears throat> in America, they were already kind of starting to see way back when that it was going to be um, necessary for a so-called dominance for all of the groups that came from Europe to come under the same umbrella of white so that they wouldn't be divided among themselves. Then they would be able to be against those that they, you know, thought were less than them. So everybody was looking at different types of groups of people as less than or whatever, but then at the same time, it's like they had a unified front, so to speak, against what we call the black, black race or a black ethnic group or whatever in America. So all in all, like you said, it's like now, nowadays, as far as, you know, what I've been seeing across the board, we're seeing and finding more and more mixing of ethnic groups. Now, the one thing that I really, I never thought I'd say this, But I will say one thing that I do feel like the Kardashians have done for America and even the world is that they have.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I already know. Go ahead. (laughs) they They have
2: made it cool to integrate with other ethnic groups, specifically with the black man. And, They have made all these Caucasian white girls, whatever you want to call them, really want a black man and really want to have a child with them. And they made it cool because they're so revered or whatever, idolized, however you want to say it, by people that they're people that want to literally do what they did because it's now cool. That's the end thing. It's like the end thing to have a white girl with a black guy and they have a child together. That's like the end. That's like a trend type of a fad almost. But it's deeper than the fad because I really believe that this is God's way of erasing what we call racial discrimination in America. I believe God has this, you know, it's kind of like what the Bible says about what he told the Jews, he said, or the Israelites, he said, Don't mix with these nations around because then you're going to serve their gods and all the other kind of stuff that he said. But that was for a specific reason, and it had nothing to do with ethnicity. It had everything to do with serving a false god. And God did not want them to turn away from him to serve other gods. So that's why he didn't want them to mix. And that's why the Bible says to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So that's about our spiritual, whatever you want to call it, our spiritual lineage, spiritual uh, connection. That's where that came from. That had nothing to do with ethnicity because if we want to be, if we want to get into it, we can talk about the fact that Moses was in the house of of Pharaoh and nobody was really really looking at him sideways or whatever all those years that he was there, and the only people that knew that he was the actual blood, I would think, were the ones who were the blood. So, or wait a minute, wait a minute. Did I say, yeah, I said that right. The ones that knew that he was not blood were the ones who were blood. In other words, his daughter knew that that wasn't his her real son. But she took him in, and he was able to grow up as if he were Egyptian telling me that they look the same, which also tells me that the Jews that we see in mass, that we see outside of Israel, I don't know what in the world happened there. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I'm still having an issue with that. I'm trying to figure out how they became European-looking. Uh, or whatever, man. <laughs> but 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 anyway, I'm not going to get into that. We're not. That's not what we're talking about today. We will talk about that
0: another time. What well, can anyway. we can we just say Can we just say one thing about that before we move on? <laughs> okay, go ahead. Go ahead. All right one th- one thing about that, we do know, and I think this is going to what your point is that the original Hebrews, the original Israelites, do not look anything like what the Jews are that we see today that are in Israel. We know that most of those Jews came from Europe, came from Europe, uh, 19, was it 1948 when they became a nation state? And so, but there was a history of um, Israelites way before the scattering of Israelites into the different um, countries and, and different nations and all that. And so that they look totally different most of the Israelites that we see today are um they are descendants of converted Jews who who converted over and even the ones that can link their lineage back to the original Jews there was a whole lot of mixing going on in Europe by that time so we can't look at modern day Israelites and say that that's a representative of what ancient Israelites look like way back in the day. We could even go to Noah and deal with Ham, Shem, and, and Japheth and say, how in the world do you have three sons? Or did they all just represent, were they all just different colors? Or did over time, were they all the same? How can you have a brother that's Ham, but he's not the same ethnicity as the other brothers? Um, so that that is a whole different conversation, but it does speak to, uh, a real thing about how whitewashing has been going on for a long time, and um, people have um, kind of usurped or, or placed what is now and try to try to link it back to what it was then. When that's a whole different thing, so I agree with you a hundred percent.
2: Yeah, So, so I guess uh, what I, what, I, what I wanted to really bring out though is that apparently the Egyptians and the Hebrews looked a lot alike, but they just had different cultures. And yeah. uh I remember I remember asking um my I I asked I don't know who it was exactly, but I asked somebody in my uh, my wife's family, I said, What makes it how do you know oh I know it was her sister. So I asked her sister, I said, How do you know the difference between a Haitian and a Dominican specifically if they are dark skinned or darker skin, specifically if it's like a you know a darker um skin uh Dominican that's like whatever they're dark skinned okay compared to a, a a Haitian who might be the same color, how do you know the difference between them and one of the things she said was they're darker than us. And then the other thing she said was, now, I will say this. I'm going to say this really kind of because I want to say it the exact way she said it. And I think this is mainly because she doesn't speak English as well as, you know, she doesn't speak English that well, but she speaks it a little bit. But she was like, they're blacker than us. That's how she said it, really. They're blacker. And I was like, so. And in, in my mind, I was like, she means they're darker. And I was right. like, but at the same time, when I heard that, I was like, I wonder if she's also saying they have. She's saying we're all mixed with we're all black, but they're blacker, they're darker black than us. You know what I'm saying, like that kind of thing. Um, right. But at the same time. I know that okay. There's a mixture of of, of there's a mixture in a Dominican um, uh, culture. There's a lot of mixture there. Therefore, that's why they say like seventy something percent of the of Dominicans say that they are mixed, and um, therefore they're not. You know, they know that they're mixed with African and and native native as well and stuff like that, and then they have European as well too. But here's a point. Um, she said that, but then the other thing she said was, by the culture, Haitians have a distinct culture that's different from the Dominican culture. So, even if they look the same side by side, if you looked at their culture, you would see you would see the difference. And I'm gonna tell you something that's kind of interesting. I actually am at a point. So to a degree i'm not I'm not like really adept at this yet still because I'm still only about forty percent from from my last from the last estimation that I was given by my sons and my wife and whatnot I'm forty percent fluent in Spanish now about so I don't really still I'm not still at a level where I can tell all the differences of accents and stuff like that. But what's interesting is the last time I was in the Dominican Republic and I was at a beach, there were some Haitians that came over to me and they were talking. And as I heard them speaking, I was like, what kind of Spanish, what kind of accent do they have? That sounds weird. I don't, I don't hear nobody speak Spanish like that. And then I realized, oh, these are Haitians. And so a little bit later, I asked my wife, I said, were those Haitians? She was like, yeah. And I was like, I could tell by their accent. It was so crazy, man. It was, like, really weird how I was able to tell that. And um, and it wasn't like I've been around Haitians to hear them speak in Spanish. I could just hear the difference in how they said words. And I was like, oh, that's not how Dominicans say that word. So what, where are they from? And then that's when I realized they were Haitians. But um, anyway, my point is this, that the difference between the Egyptians and Hebrews back then was probably just mostly the culture, and that was pretty much the biggest thing because other than that, they they looked like they were the same type of people. And when you look at the hieroglyphics of things back then, everybody was some shade of brown. You didn't see no white people there. So that tells you a lot right there. The hieroglyphics, and this is why, like, we you know, in certain circles people concentrate on Egypt so much because they look at how the noses were destroyed. They look at how certain types of things they try- it was like they're trying to erase the history in certain ways. They didn't want you to know what the things really look like. And it wasn't like internet days where people were taking pictures and posting it right away or whatever. I mean Thankfully, there are some places where pictures were taken and res- and preserved, thank God. But they were trying to erase history in many ways. They were trying to make it look like, you know, they didn't want you to know that it was people that had noses that looked a certain way that built what they built, you know, um, for right. one, one reason or another. And then we're talking about there was mathematics that was involved that they still don't understand to this day that cause certain things like the sun to be shining inside of a pyramid at a certain angle and it cause certain things like to be lit up or whatever. And it's like they don't even know the math to make that happen, even to this day. Exactly. So anyway, the point is is that um, being that those people look the same, you know, that's that really tells you, that in that situation it wasn't about color, it was about power. And it's about who runs things, who's in control, and where does that come from? That comes from sin nature, which wants to dominate people, keep them underneath you so that you can rise to the top. And so all in all, what we see here in this and what's happened, you know, in America – there's been various things that contributed to the um, the image of African Americans being bad in the past. Uh, you got the, you know, I remember, I mean, distinctly, there's so many movies that we could talk about that show black males as always being the criminals on the corner, stealing cars, selling drugs, shooting people, whatever. But you rarely saw that showed about a white man. It was rare. The white man typically was the cop that was trying to get the criminals. <laughs> and that's what the that, that's the normal depiction in movies that we see. Now, I'm going to tell you, the first movie that I saw that I can remember that was kind of trying to show something different but still had black males involved was The King of New York. And that was a real weird twist because... Yeah. Here's, here's this white guy coming out of jail, but he got all these black dudes working for him on the street, <laughs> and black and Spanish dudes working for him on the streets. But he's a white guy running the drug organization, <laughs> and so he's like, you know what I mean? But then they, but he's the one one time out of a million that you're really seeing an image like that for drug dealers. Or a drug trafficker, or whatever you want to call them, kingpin. And so it's kind of like that was, to me, that King of New York movie was a turning, was a turning point, not the only thing, but one of the turning points of Caucasian white male image being turned into more of a, okay, this is the kind of crimes they do too, or whatever.
0: Um, yeah so. and not only not only that not only that that it brought out that many of the gangs that we have today we pattern ourselves after Italians and other things when we set up our stuff anyway we pattern ourselves after the gangs you know who set up the um Vegas Las Vegas and who set up the casinos and all that we we didn't set any of that up we didn't start the gangs of um anything we were, you know, more of a tribal people, and I don't mean that in a negative sense, but how we interact with each other. But as far as organized crime, <laughs> we we got those, you know, even with hip-hop, we start taking on the the Italian names and want to be like the mafia, and like we saw the movies like Scarface and all that. So a lot of the things that we are set up on now that they depict us as, we got that directly from them. You were talking about earlier the, the Irish mobs, the Italian mobs, and all these different things. We got that from them, but you're right. It wasn't until a certain point where they begin to start really showing the real history of gangs in America and how the things got set up and really how it is even to this day we were emulating another pattern that we didn't even create.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. And um, so, (laughs) you know, I I would say that um, getting back to what we were talking about, annihilation and erasing and whatnot, I just feel like in America what we're seeing and it's going now to the younger, younger generation, and it makes me happy actually. I'm going to be honest with you. I know that I don't know how this is going to sound to you, okay, but I'm just going to say it. (laughs) <laughs> I had this thing in my heart. It's something that I feel when I see a interracial what I hate the word race- but i'm gonna say it just because I know that i'm I'm just using what's familiar to people, but i'm gonna make up a word myself i'm gonna call it interracial but i'm gonna say interethnic uh <laughs> couple um but interracial for the purpose of you know people listening um uh, when i see a, let's say a white person with a black person that specific combination i have to say is the one that touches my heart the most why because number 1 god apparently wired me for that cuz it's something about when i see that that i almost cry every time i see it um and so i know that there's something god is He's doing in that. There's something that's in that. It's a healing in that. Um that goes deep. It's it's almost to say when those two groups come together, everybody else definitely can come together. And the reason why is because of the great divide that was between those two groups. So I feel like that's part of God's actual a plan of God to eliminate and erase all this nonsense about what ethnic group that a person is, specifically whether they're black or white, and specifically to to erase the negative uh, association of a black person to, you know, whatever. And um, it's all strategic, I believe. And the more and more I see it, the more I'm happy, I'm made happy and, and um it makes me feel good inside to see it. You know, more power to anybody who, you know, power, power more power to you if, if that's not what you decide to do in your life. But when I see it happening, to me, that's saying we're overcoming something by breathing it out in a way. You know what I'm saying? Breathing it out um, is actually better than, trying to kill people off and and make them submit and all this kind of stuff. And in a sense, it's almost like the um, reverse the reverse of what was done every time somebody conquered a country. In other words, it's not by rape. It's by uh, actual loving relationship that these unions came and therefore produced beautiful children. Whereas when you had a nation overcoming a nation back in the days when they used to, uh, what do you call it? Um, I'm trying to think of the word they used to use back then. Um, what, what was the word they used back then when you used to overcome a nation?
0: Uh, are you talking about, you're not talking about colonization, but you're talking about something else. Um, yeah, I'm definitely not talking about
2: colonization. It's when when a country if the countries went to war back in the day, the way that they were always like, I guess you could say assert their dominance is by breeding with the women to then kind of like breed out the other groups of people that were there.
0: I got you. I don't Do you I think it's the term? term. Yeah, no. I can't
2: think of a term for that either. But basically it was like back in the days when you talk about like a thousand, two thousand years ago, when they would conquer, when a country would conquer another country, the way that they would kind of seal it is by the men in that group that conquered, uh, um, they would then have sex with the women in that place to then leave their seed there and basically uh, breed out the other group of people that was there. That was essentially what they were doing. So, It was just a way to say, now our seed is here. Our blood is here, you know, and that would be the way they would do it. And um, it was, but it was an outright disgrace, obviously. They were raping women and things of that nature, pillaging and whatnot. But that's what was done. But now it's like the way God is doing this is through loving relationships, wiping out certain things that cannot exist when you when you mix the people. You can't have a kid that was a, a a combination of a black and a white person to then come out and talk about they racist against white people or they racist against black or whatever. They're mixed. So that eliminates that. Now it's like what are you going to now what difference are you going to see? So I think that that's like I said it's a strategic move by God. And the more I see it, the more I feel like it shows that we're progressing in America, the more that these kids are mixing like they're doing. And um, and I'm actually glad to see it. Uh, for those that, you know, they want to stick to whatever, it's fine. That's It's fine. It's on them. But the point is, is that the more that we're seeing a mixture of these kind of kids and whatnot, that means in our future we have more people looking like us that are running things in this country. That's what I'm basically getting at. And that's so, ultimately overcoming the things you know, we've
0: seen in the past. Go ahead. So here's here's my response to that. So I won't say I disagree because I don't disagree fully, but I want to give another angle to that and say I see that God moves on different people that have different um, priorities or different uh Things that they emphasize, and I believe that it's all for the diversity. I'm one of those people who love watching the Discovery Channel or Our Planet or National Geographic, and when just looking at creation and seeing all the different species and the different things um, that He has created in His vast, vast diversity, I see where He loves diversity. He loves difference. He loves to show off his glory and his creativity. So I definitely see that being displayed in the mixing or um, the mingling of the DNA and creating um, unique-looking people and different things. I do believe that at the same time, while he wants to mix it up, that he does have people who want to emphasize that's why I never had a problem with people who are white who say I just want <laughs> I just want to get with a white person and and preserve what we have. I don't see a problem with that. Just like I don't see black people or any other people group <clears throat> saying, Hey, we want to have this image. We want to have this image of us in the earth to, to look. I I want my people to look like my grandmother, great grandfather, whatever. I don't have a problem with both, with with those who have a desire to mix it up and those who have a desire to preserve the image of what was there. Because I think that both of those things can lead to the same objective of not only tolerance, but us living in a world where people look different, people uh, have different attributes, but we all respect that we come from the same God. as so I see both of them working at the same time. And the reason why I say that and emphasize that is that I don't think that he ever wanted for us to just be a melting pot um, pot where we all just look the same, just all bland. He wanted darker skinned people and lighter skinned people and people with big noses, small noses, big eyes, little eyes. And so there has to be a, um, a combination of people who want to preserve and people who want to um, to mix it up. And, and I feel like both, that he inspires different people to have that emphasis to say, this is what I'm on and this is what I want to see. And I think it's all good on both ends of it. I don't think that this, like you said, if that's what you want to do, I don't think there's anything wrong with people saying, hey, uh, people talk about black love. Hey, all this stuff that went on in the world, I want to get with. If a brother says I want to get with a sister, and and this is what we're going to produce, going to produce black children, whatever. I don't see anything wrong with that. Just like I don't see anything wrong with someone saying, "Hey, I'm seeing this fine girl. She looks. She's from a different ethnicity. We're going to have some beautiful children." And for him loving to to see what that's going to look like and how that's not just because when we talk about looks. That could sound kind of vain. We're just talking about what the children are going to look like. But what it speaks to, as far as, like you said, the uh, reconciliation of the ethnicities, I think both can be the same. But the last part I want to say about that is it is possible that you could produce a uh, a, a black man and a white woman could produce a child, and based on the culture or based on the training or the teaching, that that child could come out looking light or being lighter skinned and still having a racial um, uh, preference or uh, some kind of um, uh, prejudice against darker skinned people or the other way around. It's possible that you could have somebody that looks a certain color but thinks in a different way that would be detrimental to somebody who looks different. So one aspect of it is the look of it and their heritage or their, their genealogy, their ancestry. But the other part of it is what you were talking about before is the culture. And we need to have both. We need to have um, not only mixed up genes, but we also need to have a, a mindset of reconciliation because if it's just, if it's just mixing it up and having children, and you still have children who adopt the mentalities, the old mentalities of the old, even though they represent both, then they could still be just as dangerous or even more dangerous depending on what it is. So I just wanted to throw that out there, too. But I do agree that um God has called people like you and many other people to say this is one of the ways to uproot that and get that out of our um uh, get that out of our spirit out of our mindset this, let's just do it by love uh making babies, making families uh multi ethnic families and that's definitely a part of it
2: yeah so i wanna i wanna uh make sure I make some- something clear that I definitely um believe that people should uh be able to choose to be with whoever they wanna be with. And if, if, like you were saying earlier, if a white person wants to be with a white person, that's fine. As long as they're not being with them because they're talking about, I hate Negroes or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Right. Or whatever. Right. That kind of reason, that's not the reason to be doing it. That tells me you have the wrong reason and the wrong motive. But if you have the reason, like like, you just happen to be a white guy and you love blonde girls, then go for it. You know what I'm saying? I mean... You know, and then sometimes there's a black dude that loves blonde girls, and there's a, you know, what I mean, there's a white guy that loves dark-skinned black women. I mean, it's all out there. Yeah, I, um, you're right. I see on Instagram, they got these uh, mixed couples um, things, and they'll show like white guys with black women and black women or black guys with white women, whatever, and it's just like cool. You know, they and again they emphasize that. Because in America, that has been the biggest divide. And I feel like, again, like when you see that come together, whether it's through marriage or just through relationships of I got white friends over here and that kind of thing or whatever, and then we squash all the nonsense and we say, hey, we can make fun of each other and they don't have nothing to do with race or ethnicity. we just doing it because we just got jokes. We all be um, cracking on each other. It's all good, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think that that's one of the things that I love about the churches that I've been part of since, like, I've been part of churches like this for most of my life. And where you got ethnic, different ethnic groups together, it's not just all black or all white or whatever. It's a mixture but one thing I've been noticing in my adult life when I'm around in those kind of circles is that you can have all these kind of jokes and crack jokes about things and then you can make fun of the differences between the ethnic groups and all that but it ain't nothing racial or not I don't I don't want to use the word racial it's not about ethnicity in a sense of in a negative way it's about just having finding laughter and humor in every different ethnic group. They have humor about every ethnic group, and it has nothing to do with you, you know, trying to be supreme over them, superior, dominated, nothing like that. It's just funny things about everybody that we could talk about. So being in those kind of groups where people can talk about stuff and it just be something that everybody laughs at, but they don't take it in any negative way, I love that. I love seeing it. I love being around it. And um, so all in all, I'm just saying that uh, that's ultimately where God wants us to be, where, like you said, he likes the differences of everything. He likes colors. He likes, you know, textures, different types of things. It's all around for a reason. So all those differences mean something, and they actually make everything, like, um, interesting. So, all in all, what I want to say to that—the last point I want to make about that specific thing—is that, you know, I'm I'm just glad to see that in the younger generations, especially, that it's becoming more and more prevalent that we're seeing the mixing and the uh, coming together of different ethnic groups, and um and I just believe that's just one of the tools the many tools that God has for that to happen. Um. I want to say one last thing uh <clears throat> about this will Smith Chris Rock thing, and then you can make statement if you want um, I just want to say that uh that that oscar night um is never gonna be forgotten, and I believe that one of the things that it could possibly do. Is make people feel like, you know, like I remember listening to um, Dave Chappelle. He made a joke about how he was like, uh, I'm back. Uh, he's like, I've been on the way from D.C. for a long time. Uh, it's different now. <laughs> he's like, uh, white people ain't scared no more. <laughs> There's a <laughs> lot of white people around here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like, I saw this white guy, he was at an ATM machine and he was like and I was, I went up to him and said, Boo, and he was like, What's wrong with you? <laughs> like, that doesn't work anymore.
1: <laughs>
2: that. And it was just funny because basically what he's saying is white people used to be afraid, now they ain't afraid no more. It's like things change. So what I'm what I get from that and what what I love to see is that people won't look at what Will Smith doing did as being like, well, you can't trust them no matter what level they get to. They might go animalistic on you just off with some emotional stuff, and then what? I mean, what are you going to do about that? You know? And so that's why you can't let them go up nowhere or whatever. You know what I'm saying? That kind of thing. I just, I just believe that that's what people could have possibly gotten out of what Will did, but then when Chris responded the way he did, Chris was actually protecting Will without Will realizing what he did. That's good, bro. I don't think Will realizes how protected Will's, I mean, how he got protected by Chris by his response to, to Will because he did it in several layers. The first layer was he didn't say any words back to be a back and forth. Second layer was he didn't beget violence with violence. Third, or he did not uh, he did not use violence against violence. Rather, the third thing was he did not file charges against him. The fourth thing was he did not sue the academy for what happened. So on four levels, at a minimum, on four levels, he protected him. And he he that's was good. trying to he was trying to squash the whole thing, and he did it in such an eloquent way, man. Like if Will Smith, I mean, I heard that he issued an apology on Instagram and all that. To me, that's weak. That's whack. If you're gonna if you're gonna give a real um, uh, apology, then you better do it face to face, like a man. Like you slapped him
1: face to face.
2: You come to me like a man. If it was me. I, if i was chris rock i would say dude i don't care what you say on instagram if you're gonna really apologize to me you're gonna do it in person face to face just like you disrespected me face to face you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna uh apologize to me face to face number one and if i don't feel that it's uh uh a genuine apology then i will not accept it if i feel like it's fake if i feel like it's you know, uh, what's the word, um, like, you you rehearsed it, you you tried to make it sound real good for some PR stuff or whatever, I'm not accepting it. It will not be something that I take just because you said something that I'm just going to say, oh, he apologized, everything is all good. No, you're going to have to prove, even after your so-called apology, you're going to have to do things to prove that you really – mean what you said whatever that turns out to be you're going to have to do some more stuff other than so-called apologize but the thing is is that again like i said man chris rock man i know you may never ever hear this i don't know but if you ever do hear it i just want to say man thank you mad respect to you man um you you did something. You, you were so classy on stage at the Oscars, man. I give you hats off. Hats off to you. You know what I'm saying? Um, you did a great thing for all black men, and you definitely did it for Will. And if he doesn't come to a point where he realizes that, how deep it went, what you did for him, I feel sorry for him, first of all. And then secondly, that's just, that's something, that's his problem. You did a great thing. You represented well. I, I Like I said, hats off to you. I, I give you a, a standing ovation if I could or whatever. Um, I just want to give you mad props for that. You deserve it. You, you deserve mad props for that. I don't care what nobody says. I don't care what nobody talks about about. How they woulda, you know, they weren't They weren't gonna be the one to get slapped or whatever. The point is, is that um, you didn't not slap Will because you're a punk. You, it wasn't because of that. You didn't not retaliate because you're weaker than him in the sense of, you know, you you don't stand up for what you stand up for or whatever your family or whatever. You know what I'm saying? When I said. If you Like I said, if you hear this ever, but, you know, this is for the audience too. When I was talking about Chris being weaker than him, I was talking about physically. He's smaller. He's not as strong. But he's still a man, and he stood and he took that smack like a man. He didn't fall to the ground like a woman. He didn't fall to the ground like he's frail. He stood there, and he stayed pretty much in the same position. The only thing that changed – was he bent at his waistline. His feet stayed planted. He was not knocked backwards and stumbling back off his feet or whatever. That says a lot to me. That says a whole lot. So the point is, is that I give you mad respect, Chris, for the way you did what you did that night, man. And I just want to just tell you, man, I'm proud of you. All right, man, Terrence, you you, you share what you got to say about it.
0: Hey man, I agree with everything you said. Um I salute Chris Rock how he handled it. The only other thing I would say about that is that many times in the past Chris Rock has has taken digs on the faith or Christianity and that kind of stuff, but in his demonstration he still demonstrated the wisdom of Christ in <laughs> saying, you know, when Christ talked about turning the other cheek now, he was yeah. saying that in a sense of not in all situations you turn the other cheek because there are times when you need to get busy. But yeah. he still, Jim, he demonstrated the principle of I have a work to do, I have an agenda, I have a purpose, and I'm not going to let you throw me off my purpose to complete what I came to do. And I think that's the same spirit of what Christ was saying. When you're ministering the gospel, when you're teaching, and you're doing it for the sake of the ministry or whatever your purpose is, don't let that distract you. So even though Chris has taken digs at the at the, the principles of Christ in the past, God still used him to demonstrate the civility of that, the wisdom of that, and it's a profound thing because we're building and bringing out so many lessons and so many things off of that incident, which we wouldn't even be talking about it the same way had he reacted different. And that just speaks to the wisdom of God. So I just want to say, man, you you might be closer to the kingdom than you think. Go ahead and come on over if you ever do hear this. (laughs) You might as well come on over (laughs) because you demonstrated something in reality, in real time, maybe for a different purpose, but God still used you to show something. And so that's all I got to say about that. But that was was big. Like I said, like he said, salute, salute. You represent it. No doubt, man.
2: So... You know, um, we had this is a great discussion, man. Anybody who's listening once again, you know the the purpose of the podcast is never to be like you know um trying to harp on certain things that are uh specific injustices or whatever, but there is a level of which certain things need to be reiterated, and there needs to be an education given about certain things, especially that, you know, people who are not black do not understand. They haven't experienced it, and they may not even understand why black people respond to certain things the way they do and whatnot. So, therefore, this is a platform to give you understanding and to show you even on a spiritual level how these things are affecting people. I mean, we're talking about something that it goes deep as as deep as 400 years ago and it's still affecting people to this day, even after 150 years of slavery, so-called being, you know, you know, removed or whatever from America or whatnot. But, um, we, we just see that something like that is that deep. And, And it makes you even wonder, like what happened with the Israelites? They were in 400 years of slavery and they came out of it, and then you notice though. And I, 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 I'm just gonna say it. I don't. I'm not. You know. However, people perceive this, I'm just gonna say it. God had to eliminate certain people in order for Him to get a certain mindset out of them. And that's all I'll say to that. Um. So, uh, thank you again for all those that are listening to the podcast. This has been a great one, um, you know. Again, if you're not already subscribed to the podcast on your platform that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe today. Also, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel and follow us on on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, New Numa, and, uh, and you can also follow me, Norm the Professor, on all those platforms as well. Norman Brown on Facebook, Norm Dub Professor on Twitter. And Terrence, what's your new uh what's your new Instagram?
0: <laughs> so it's Urban Theist. Um Urban Theist, you can find me there or on um or on TikTok, Urban Theist. Um or you can even find me on Facebook. You can look up Urban Theist. or you can just look up Terrence Frederick and you'll find me there. Or you can look up TerrenceFrederick.com. dot com. Um, it's a few Terrence Fredericks out there, but, um, you'll see one of them is an athlete. So that's not me. So I'm the other one. Okay. uh, So you can find me there urban theist. And
2: by the way, for all those that don't know, I'm not the guitarist, Norman Brown. I'm the, uh, I'm the minister. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the other Norman Brown. That's not me. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so, man, this was a good discussion, man, and um, I'm glad we were able to have it, man. Um, So thank you all again for listening to the podcast. Thank you for your support. You can hit me on Cash App if you want to support financially. It's uh, dollar sign, NUNUMA. Uh, You can also go through uh, PayPal, and that's um, using wordlifecafe at gmail.com. Thank you again for your support. Thank you for listening to NUNUMA Godcast. It's your host, Norman. Peace.
1: What's up, family? This is Norman. Thanks for listening to New Numa. We appreciate you, and that includes your feedback. What do you like most about the podcast? What are your favorite subjects? What types of guests would you like to hear more? Shoot us an email today at new.numa.podcast at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts. Peace.